Um, I just can't resist that song. There was a scriptural truth in there that if you have nothing else from this morning's worship, grab hold of that and take it home with you. I am who you say I am. And what struck me is we all walked in here today with our own images of who we are. Um, probably for a lot, those images are that we're not that good of stuff. We've blown it, we've made mistakes, uh, we're not a prize, whatever that might be, because that's what the world sort of feeds out to us. Or we have this super deluded picture of ourselves that we're Superman or Wonder Woman, and guess what, you're not. But really, all of that that we walk in with, who we think we are, doesn't matter. Because the only thing that matters is who God says we are. And that's so transforming. And all those uh, phrases then out of Scripture we were singing through that song were all the things God says we are, who we are. And if we can hear that and realize in coming to Him that He is our God, Jesus is our Savior, that's what God starts to say about us. And that's who we are. That's reality. Not our images, bad or good. Reality is who God says we are. And carry that this week. It will change your perspective on the week. Okay, from that to a new sermon series on marriage. Seems like spring is always a good time. People are getting married. It's a good time to talk about marriage. Um, I, I'm sure all of you watch the Hallmark Channel. I knew I'd get a raise out of that. Uh, you either love it or it's an abomination. Um, I, I was interested, and I think it's a statement on the pain in our culture. This is, I think, the article I was reading says this is the fastest growing cable channel on all the channels. Thank you. No. And I think that's a state, an interesting statement that the Hallmark Channel is the fastest growing cable channel. What that says about our culture. Because if you haven't been fortunate enough to watch the Hallmark Channel, you will see movies and movies and movies of people falling in love or falling back in love and falling in love in amazing ways. And there's always a few bumps in the road that takes two hours. But at the end of that two hours, it always works out. And they're always in love, and you know the movie's not over till they kiss. And then once they kiss, it's okay, we're done. And we watch those movies, and they're entertaining to us. But they're movies. And the problem becomes... We start to treat marriage that way in, re in the real world. That marriage is just sort of this fairy tale that magically happens. And one of the things that we need to face as we begin this whole series is that the reality of life and how marriage really works isn't like you see it in the Hallmark Channel. The reality is that even today, and we've been working on this statistics for decades, but even today, about half the marriages don't make it. And every few years, they'll do a new study, and the divorce rate might fudge 1% or 2% another way, but it basically hangs around 50%. Half of these marriages that were magical 
Somehow it doesn't make it. The greater tragedy is that the statistics indicate that Christian marriages are almost identical in those percentages of failure. My point is that marriages don't just happen. I'm not here to discourage us in any way, shape, or form, but I am here to get us to move from the Hallmark Channel to dealing with reality. Because it's important for us to do that, to look at what, what do we do? I think all of us would say, I want to be in the part that makes it. Or I want my kids to find spouses so their marriages make it. Or even if I've blown it once, and, and yes, I've gone through a divorce, I don't want to ever do that again. So this sermon series, I've entitled Marriage Myths. And they're listed on the back of the bulletin, but there's four myths that we sort of pick up in our culture. And if we believe those myths, they set us up for failure. But they're pretty common lore that you just hear from your buddies or you see in movies or, or whatever. The problem is they're not true. They're myths. And I don't want to just look at the myth and say that's not the way it really is. I want to look at the opposite. Well, this is how it should be. Four things that are important to understand. And so today I want to start with the first myth, and that is that anybody can do this. It's as easy as the Hallmark Channel. It's no big deal. You just fall for the right person and magically things just start to happen. And that's often how we begin, because we're attracted to that person. There's that flutter in our heart or our pulse races or we can't wait to see them. And it's magical and it's like nothing can ever stop this. And I don't have to ever worry about it. The problem is that's not reality. We've just talked about that. How many times have we all heard people say, how did I get here? What happened? Where did we drive off the road? I never thought this would happen to me. I can't tell you how many times I've had one or the other of a couple say that to me as their marriage is dissolving. How did this ever happen? The problem is it does happen. And marriage isn't just a slam dunk. And I don't say that again to discourage anyone, but the reality we need to face is that marriage is not easy. This isn't just watching a two-hour Hallmark movie. It is a long-term relationship and a commitment that is not easy. If you think about what we're really trying to pull off in marriage, we start with two radically different people. We have very different personalities. We have different interests, different tastes. We see different things. Different things are important to us. It's just sort of a standing joke with my wife and I of colors and on all of this. She sees things I don't see. But then there's the opposite where I'll go take her someplace and, and I'll see things and she doesn't see it. We're different. But we come from different backgrounds as well. Different families. What's a family supposed to look like? Well, that depends on the home you grew up in. And guess what? The home I grew up in doesn't look like the home you grew up in. So we're bringing a whole different set of expectations to this. And all the research indicates just the very issue that we're dealing males and females. 
we truly are different. From the minute of conception and how the chromosomes are working, we become different persons. And how our brains work, and everybody knows that, because we're married to somebody whose brain doesn't work right. (laughs) Because their brain doesn't work like our brain. But you see, all of that feeds into all of these differences. And if that were not enough in the sense of the cards are stacked against us, the truth is we're also both sinners. And by that I mean we're not perfect. We do dumb things. We make poor choices. We walk into temptations that we shouldn't walk into. We say yes when we should say no. We become part of the problem. And our spouse is the same way. And unfortunately, I have to add one more difficulty, and that is our culture today. I think my parents' culture worked to help marriages stick together and work. I don't think we can say our culture is helping us anymore. Our culture is obsessed with sex. Our culture now says marriage is old-fashioned. Living together without marriage is now the norm. Changing partners is normal. That's what our culture is saying. And some of the qualities that are so essential to a healthy marriage are gone from our culture. It's assumed that everyone lies. Lying is now normal. Commitment is something that is very conditional and comes and goes. No one takes responsibility for their own actions. It's always somebody else's fault. All of these you see in our culture feed in to making marriage very difficult. And so my real point in this sermon is that marriage is difficult enough that we need help. All of our marriages. We need help. If we're going to overcome these differences and these challenges and the weaknesses we bring to the table, this isn't easy stuff, and so we need help. And that's what I really want to talk about today. Sometimes we begin marriage and we look at it as sort of a singles game. And there's two of us, and we're going to get married, but we're each sort of doing our own thing. And you know marriage is like that. Maybe you're in one where we're each still pretty remain individuals. And I think for a lot of us, the goal is always to let's get together. So we're working together. And instead of playing singles, let's play doubles. So we're partners. We're working together in this. I want to challenge you today to go one step further. Don't make marriage a singles game. Don't even make it a doubles game. Make it a team sport. And the reason I say that is I think that help we need is in God. I want to add a third third partner to your marriage, and that is God. That, That he would become a part of that marriage too. And to explain what this would look like, I want to use two scriptures that are not traditionally used for marriage. But in both cases, I hope to show you how both of these passages have real practical principles we can apply in our marriages. And if we do, they actually can help our marriages. The first passage is in Matthew 22. 
It's often called the Great Commandment. We spent a lot of time in January looking at this passage. But I want to apply it to marriage today, and I hope you'll see how it can revolutionize a marriage. You know, this is where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Think in terms of, Jesus, what is the most important thing I can do? And Jesus' answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to challenge you to apply that passage to your marriage. So the first thing I'm going to say in that, the first thing the passage says, the first thing Jesus says, I want you to love somebody more than your spouse. Now you don't usually hear that in a marriage sermon. But that person I want you to love more than your spouse is God. That you would say, God, I am above all else, I am yours. And I want to love you. And I, and I want to be focused on you. And I want you at the center of my life. Because if we'll do that, what we're looking for will flow out of that. Too often in marriages, God is on sort of external, out there at the side. Sometimes as an observer. Sometimes totally uninvolved. And I want to move him into the center. From both of us, that we are focused on that loving God and that He becomes our first priority. Because of what it will do to our marriages. If we start looking to Him for our needs, not just our spouse. His love as well as our spouse's love. What He is saying, who I am. That song. That changes who I see myself to be. And that change is coming not from my spouse, but from God. Because as I am getting to know God and focusing on Him, you see, God begins to change us. You can't spend time with God and be looking at Him and listening to Him and following Him and letting Him fill your life with His love and His truth without it changing you. And it changes us for the better. We become better spouses as we allow God to fill our lives. It is God who allows us to love our neighbor as ourself. And of course, who is the closest neighbor? Our spouse. How do we ever go about loving that spouse as we love ourselves? Because we focused on loving God. That's why Jesus gave those two commands in that order. It's as we're loving God that He changes us so that we are able to turn and love our spouse. He not only changes us, but He helps us. So that we have, as we have struggles in our marriages, we're going to Him before we go to the buddy at work and say, God, what do I do about this? I promise you, you will get better guidance from God than from the buddy at work. Guarantee you. But we have to decide that I want to focus on God first. And sometimes God's going to help us see things that we don't even want to see. But as we're praying and we're talking with God and we're opening the word and we're seeking Him, He starts to show us things. And He helps change our hearts or some of our attitudes. I know you've experienced this. 
you're struggling with something, you know one of the best things you can do is start praying about it. But be careful, that's dangerous stuff. I want to warn you. Because how many times have we all started praying about, God, would you please change her heart, his heart, her attitude, his attitude. But you keep praying about it. And sometimes that's what God does. But sometimes you know what God does. He opens our eyes to see, you know, it's not their heart that needs to change, it's mine. It's not their attitude that needs to change, it's mine. And that's how God works. He helps us see truth. And he can work in that other person's life. I can't change my spouse. I've tried. It doesn't work. She'll tell you I've tried. But you know, there's nothing in Scripture that says I can change another life. Scripture does says God can change another life. So if I'm going to the Father and talking to Him, I'm seeking God first. That starts to change me. He may change my spouse, but it changes the whole dynamic of our relationship. Because now we're in a team. It's not just me. It's not just me and my spouse. It's me and my spouse and God. Jesus has a promise in Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And God will take care of all the rest. I believe that scripture applies to our marriages as well. Seeking him first. As I was working on this sermon, I have tried very much to be sympathetic and realistic to the realities that some of you are sitting in. And I want to stop here for a minute because I know some of you are sitting here today with spouses who are not here. And who aren't here ever. And obviously, that makes it harder. But remember, you are loving the God who divided the Red Sea. Who humbled Egypt with ten plagues. Who raised the dead. So all I can offer to you is that God's power is greater. And you make sure you're involving God in your marriage. If your spouse may not be willing to do that, you can God will come anywhere he's invited, even if it's only half who are inviting him. You love God more. And let that love of God flow into your life and into your marriage through you. And we've all seen places where God, I mean, marriages where God has done that very thing. He only needs one doorway in. You give him that one doorway. There's one other passage it's a passage that we always apply to our nation. But again, I want to apply it to marriage today because I think it's a passage that has some more truths for us about how do we make marriage work. Not just how do we make marriage work, but how do we involve God in our marriages so that He's at the center, not just on the outside as an accessory. The passage is in 2 Chronicles 7. It's actually an offer that God makes to Israel. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. 
What if we take that passage and instead of saying land, insert the word marriage? If we will do this, these four things, and we're going to talk about them, that God lists here. Remember, this list is directly from God. These four things. But what he says from that is, if you'll do these four things, I will hear from heaven and I will heal marriages, not just lands. First thing he says, if we will humble ourselves. If we will come to God and say, I don't have all the answers. I can't do this on my own. I need help. God, I need your help. That's exactly where ancient Israel was. We're in over our heads. The enemies are coming and we need help. That is actually a good place to be with God. That place of humility that says, God, I need you. It's not about my wisdom, my power, what I can do. I don't have all the answers. Admitting that is the first step to opening up our lives for God to come and work. Humbling ourselves. The second thing God lists is then pray. Come and talk to me. Have to humble ourselves first or we won't come talk to him. Once we've humbled ourselves, we do that so that we can come and we can talk with God about our marriages, about our spouses, about ourselves, and what's going on or what's not going on, what we're struggling with, that we are able to talk with God about this. Ran across a disturbing statistic. Family Life magazine a few years ago did a study of Christian couples. Less than 8% pray together. That's of Christian couples. That's not of all couples. Less than 8% pray together. But they had one other interesting statistic. Of those that do pray together, less than 1% divorce. It changes a marriage when we're going and praying together. When we're going to God about our marriage, when prayer is a part of it. The third thing God says is seek God's face. I'd like to translate that, or what I think he's talking about is spending time with God. Intentionally doing things to get closer to God. So that he is a bigger part of our lives, our marriage, our home. That is opening the word. Maybe it's reading the Bible together or memorizing scripture as a family. But we're opening that word so that God can speak into our lives and we can hear from him. We're seeking his face. It's prayer. We've just talked about that. It's coming and worshiping together. Maybe it's listening to Christian music together in the car. Maybe it's a small group that we do together with our spouse. Maybe it's going to family camp together this summer. Any of those things when we as a couple, as in our marriage, can also seek God together. That draws us closer together. And it changes our marriages the last thing God says to Israel is, and turn from their wicked ways. The truth is, we aren't perfect, and we do wrong things, and we have wrong attitudes. 
We have wrong prejudices from our past. All those kinds of things. But as we're coming to God, one of the things that He will do is He will point out to us things that we need to change. Maybe it's behaviors, maybe it's attitudes, things we need to start doing, things we need to stop doing. But at that point, there is a test in that. And that is, will we hear that? And we will, will we do the tough work of making some of those changes that he's pointed out? They're not easy. But again, we're seeking God, asking his help even to make those changes. God says, if you do that, I'll come and work in your life. I'll come and work in your marriage. A verse that sort of affirms that is Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. I believe that passage applies to our marriages as well. If we'll see our marriages as a team effort, it's us and it's our spouse and it's God. And if we'll move God into a part of our marriage, a center of our marriage, it will transform our marriages. Marriage isn't easy, but with God's help, we can do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you want to be involved in our lives, how you want to help us. Thank you for how you designed us for marriage, male and female. How you designed us to be complementary companions. You are for marriage. You want to help. And I thank you for that. Open our eyes today to see practical ways we can help you be a part of every one of our marriages. I ask this in your son's name.